welcome to Things That Will Help with Buffy Barfoot. This podcast explores what it's like to be human and how to find tools to feel clear, grounded, and happier. Each episode will have a different theme, and we'll talk about things that help to bring that theme to real life. The human stories ahead do not negate the heart or the dark, but rather point to the lighthouses along the way. This is Buffy. Allen Ginsberg said, Follow your inner moonlight. Don't hide the madness. The times when I have felt the most mad, the most animal-like, the most desperate, the most ravenous and gutted, howling and snatching and clawing, have been in the middle of loss. I have a student, her name is Stevie. She texted me a couple months ago and she said, Buffy, have you ever considered doing an episode on grief? Because I really think it helps, she said. Stevie is a hospice nurse and her job is to help hold inevitable loss in the cup of her hands. Like like a fragile bowl, not sure when it will drop and break apart at the feet of the family. And I've been thinking about her text for several weeks. Grief helps. No, I'm not sure. And then I picked it apart. That thing that causes grief, that doesn't help. But grief, yes, I decided that helps because grief is the seeping out or in some cases the screaming out of the sorrow that is on top of you anyway. When we grieve something or somebody, we honor it. We walk outside and we give the trapped sorrow some air and some light Valerie Kaur says in her book, See No Stranger, the wisdom across faith traditions is that grieving is done in community. You don't have to know people in order to grieve with them. You grieve with them in order to know them. My mother told me when both of my babies were born that it's good for for babies to cry when they're really tiny And that it clears out their lungs and helps give them a voice. And I think about that sometimes and believe that it can do the same for our lungs. That kind of crying can change our vocal patterns, our lungs and our throats and our bodies. And it can make our spine stronger and it inevitably makes other places softer and more malleable. One of Benjamin's best friends, and he's also one of my dear friends, his name is Ryan Hancock, and he married an incredibly talented and special woman named Melanie. And Melanie did something the summer that Benjamin died that broke ground for me in terms of healing 
and, and feeling seen in the face of that loss. Melanie and Ryan, a few days after he died, they asked to spend a little bit of time in Benjamin's room. And after a few minutes, they left. And I found out later that while they were in his room, Melanie took a few strands of Benjamin's hair from his baseball cap. And she, it turns out, she makes mourning jewelry. And that's M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G, mourning jewelry. In the Victorian days, people used to carry around pieces of hair of the person who had died, and they carried it in lockets around their neck. And Melanie creates this really special version of mourning jewelry. And she's made a body of work based on it. And it's just, it's so, so stunning. And I don't know how she does it. It's this tiny thing, but she takes one strand of hair from the person who has died and makes a picture on this beautiful and kind of antique looking piece of jewelry And she does brooches and necklaces and earrings. But she designed an outline of Benjamin's baby picture. It's so tiny, like the size of my thumbnail. With one of his hairs in this this little brooch. And she made one for both myself and my mother. And they're very, ever so slightly different. uh, Because they're hand, hand done. And it's just breathtaking. I wish I could show... You guys, I'm going to have to have Alex link her website in the show notes and I can't, because I can't really describe how exquisite it is. And the thing is, having this piece of him on my body, on my clothes, that someone had crafted out of pure love has been so healing. It's like it's grief that's been crystallized into fine art that I get to carry, that we get to carry. It goes, of course, beyond that piece of hair, beyond his hair, and beyond Melanie's delicate detail and her craft. And it spills into the healing act of being seen, which is paramount when you're in the madness of grief. Someone sees you, and they let you be there in it. And Melanie gave us that. She gave us this gorgeous piece of art, but she also gave us witness. And that is immeasurable. It helps to make something. You or somebody somebody else for you making something, literally or figuratively, to hold and to wear and to stroke, creating something out of the shattered pieces. My friend, Marcy, another really stunning artist, she's a painter. She recently created a work from a commission that just kind of blew my mind when I read about it. This woman that she was giving it to that she was painting it for I think it was her husband is the one the one who commissioned it and all of these special things were hidden and tucked into the painting like there were words to a Hebrew prayer that were written directly onto the canvas so the prayer would always live underneath the paint and Marcy used the color pale pink throughout the painting which represented the woman's younger sister 
because when she was little, she lost her baby sister and her dad in a car accident. And she and her mother were in the car too, but they survived. So that story became part of her life story and what was etched onto her forever. And this painting gives it life and memory and witness in a way. And there is a clean blue line that runs horizontal through the painting. And that line, Marcy said, represents the loss of her dad, who was a police officer. And his badge numbers, Marcy wrote on top of the first layer of paint, underneath the rest. So those numbers will always exist under the paint. And she says in describing this painting, and particularly that part, just because we can't see something doesn't mean it isn't there. And she painted four loops as a theme throughout the painting. And those four loops are symbolic of the four people in her, in the woman's original family before the accident, and the four people in her current family. And then lastly, there's this gold leaf that kind of shows up periodically in the painting to show the light that this woman reflects out onto the world simply because of who she is. And when I read all this on Marcy's post, talking about this commission, I just, I just melted because she made something. She created art out of someone's story. And I can't think of a better use of talent and a better use of paint. And when our story is read or painted or seen or memorized in this way, or in hundreds of other ways, we calm down. We calm down when we are witnessed. And then we can allow ourselves to be carried. The burden becomes less when our stories are grieved on the collective plane instead of just on our personal spines. Because our bodies get too heavy to carry it. And we need other people to lift up the corners and to write things down underneath the paint, to create beautiful things out of their hair. We need other people to remember their eye color and their favorite songs because it matters. It lightens the load that we carry. Just because we can't see something doesn't mean it isn't there. Oh, yes. This is so true. And it kind of, it made me think, you know, about the timeline of grief. When all the hullabaloo is over, when the meal train has ended, and the news cycle has been refreshed, and people are on to the next thing, that is when, when grief is the most lonely that is when you have to check on your people long after the funeral and when the season has changed because likely they're still not okay. When I was in graduate school, I had a teacher say to me during that time, 
I'll never forget what she said. She said, It is hard to look at you, Buffy. You are in so much pain, it is hard to look at your face. <laughs> I remember wanting to punch her in the face when she said that to me. Her, her saying that to me made me feel so ugly and alone and so wretched and hideous. And ultimately, she made me feel not safe. And on the complete other hand, I had another professor in the same dance department decide that she would use my, my swollen face and my body and my tears for her artistry. And she cast me in one of her dances that year. And it mattered to me because I then became the paint. I became the hair that made the shape of the baby boy on the jewelry. And that was healing to me and useful and artful. And it made something new out of my broken pieces. So don't ignore the howling or the swollen faces because you are uncomfortable and because you need somebody's healing to speed up. And I think this is really important. And it's not always something that we talk about. I mentioned this earlier, I think, in, in some episodes ago, that my husband Matt lost his dad this year. Ron was his name. And one of the things that Matt keeps going back to when we talk is the lack of witness or collective grief and the lack of memorial. And they couldn't do it. They couldn't do it because it was smack in the middle of covid And people need this. They need to walk to the chapel with other people on their arm. They need to be able to break apart sometimes at the temple doors so that it doesn't feel like any other day. They need to be able to put on a suit and a dress and slick back their hair and and show up in church clothes to mourn the dead. So that it doesn't just feel like a collage on Instagram or on Facebook. So it doesn't feel like any other day. And this year has taken some things from us. There's this book. It's called The Things They Carried. And I read it so long ago. My friend Rachel Hooker gave me that book. And and I remember that she told me I would love it. And she was right. It's such a powerful account, as I remember. It's been years since I've looked at it. But as I remember, it's such a powerful account of wartime and soldiers. And the author breaks down so beautifully the actual things that these men carried around in their pockets during the Vietnam War. And there were pictures and letters and marijuana and lockets, all the things that they carried with them on their on their person and of course also the things that they carried that were not actual things the burdens and the longings and the missing and all the other things they carried here's a quote from from the book and the author is tim o'brien the things they carried he says they carried the sky the whole atmosphere they carried it the humidity, the monsoons, the stink of fungus and decay, all of it, they carried gravity. 
The architecture of grief is not linear. It's unpredictable and surreal, and it has its own strange map. And in terms of holding steady for someone else, we can't dictate the time that it takes people. We just need to be witness. We stand still and we plant our feet through their rocking. If it's you that is uncomfortable with the way someone else is grieving, I encourage you to be incredibly spacious and patient. It may not be how you would do it, but it's not your bowl that shattered. It's not your boy. It's not your mother. So make plenty of space for the shards underneath their feet and their process. And all of this reminds me of the word bespoke. And I love this word. And it essentially means custom or tailor-made or spoken for just that thing. Spoken for just that person. Sorrow is so custom built. It's bespoke. So the process of grief must be too. So let it be. Let it rage. And let it carry on if it needs to. Let it be loud. Or let it be incredibly private and zipped up and quiet. And it's so personal and it gets to be that. As people who are holding those who are grieving, we are the holders of the room. We are here to help, not to dictate. Valerie Kaur says, Grief is the price of love. Loving someone means that one day there will be grieving. They will leave you or you will leave them. The more you love, the more you grieve. Loving someone also means grieving with them. It means letting their pain and loss bleed into your heart. When you see that pain coming, you may want to throw up the guardrails, sound the alarm, raise the flag, but you must keep the borders of your heart porous in order to love well. It is an act of surrender when we are brave enough to sit with our pain. It deepens our ability to sit with the pain of others. It shows us how to love them. That's from See No Stranger. I have a tattoo that is backwards and on my chest, on my heart. And it's a carbon copy, literally, of a note that Benjamin wrote to me when he was five and I was four. And it says, Buffy, I love you. Do you love me? And it's written in his little boy handwriting with all of his little mistakes. And it's backwards so that I can see it in the mirror. And you can see it poking out a little if I have a tank top on. And I have had people ask about it over the years. And it actually, the ink has a little bit of his ashes in it. And I like when people ask because I get to bring him alive for a little moment. I get to tell a story about him. And I like to be asked because it links my grief to something bigger, to a collective empathy that we all belong to. And most of the time, I think people are touched because even though they never knew him, 
People like to hear a memory like that. It's an etching, like the writing under the paint and like the morning jewelry. It sparks a connection between me and strangers so often and between Benjamin and strangers, and it's palpable. I can feel it. One time I knew someone who had a sister and she tried to kill herself. She tried to cut cut her wrists. And thank goodness she didn't succeed in taking her life. And this woman and her brother, they both got tattoos on their wrists and one hand said calm and the other one said soul, calm soul. They both had it. It became a reminder for them to always find their breath. And so they now share a piece of art that came out of an almost loss. And now it's a survivor's mark for both of them instead of mourning jewelry, thank goodness. A friend once asked me for some advice on how to support her dearest friend who had just lost her brother and they were in their 20s and they were they were ripped apart too early and too suddenly. And at the Benjamin time, the most helpful gesture was when people would pull up a chair and ask me about him directly. When they would let me talk about him all night and they would coax it out of me bone by bone, I would feel some release and I would feel some refuge. Those were my favorite people and those were my favorite comforts, the ones that held permission. I told her, I told my friend that asked for this advice to get in the ditch with her friend and to wrap a quilt around both of their bodies and let her friend tell every detail of the stories of her brother. And then when she's ready to come out of the ditch, make her some strong coffee and watch the sunrise with her. So be hope embodied instead of telling her when it will be over because it's never going to be over for her. So you just sit with her and let her talk. Anne Lamott says, you will lose someone you can't live without and your heart will be badly broken. And the bad news is that you never completely get over the loss of your beloved. But this is also the good news. They live forever in your broken heart that doesn't seal back up. And you come through. It's like having a broken leg that never heals perfectly. That still hurts when the weather gets cold, but you learn to dance with the limp. That's Anne Lamont. This time period that we're in, we're in need of some repair. Because the balm of collective grief and the witness we need when we are in the fire has not been able to be. This has been a more difficult year. Things have been missed. Stories have gone untold and silenced because people haven't called and they haven't taken walks with each other or seen what jewelry has been worn and what art has been made in the middle of the night. So the losses, the stories, the lives of this year in particular will need some tending to, I think. We're going to need to learn to memorialize and to push comfortability to one side sometimes to witness the fire's rage without 
the containment of cultural appropriateness. That's what it will take to take care of each other, I think. Thank you to the ones that carry. Thank you to the hospice nurses, the midwives, the handholders, the people who make the meals, the ones who donate, the ones who cry with us, the ones who light candles, the ones who put the dates on their calendars to repeat every year to remember the days that still make us sad, the ones who you do not have to ask to memorialize, but they just know to do it, the ones who write the story underneath the paint and then give it to you to hang on your wall, the artists, the jewelers, the makers, the ones who steal the hair out of the room to make something beautiful for you, the ones who hold hope but don't demand that you speak hopefully so that they feel comfortable, the ones who know it's not tied up neatly and it's not about their comfort zone, the ones who help you make art out of your story and then hand it back to you. Carrie Fisher said, take your broken heart and make it into art. Thanks everybody for listening to things that will help podcast. I just love doing this and I, I love the community that we've, we've grown together and the listenership that we're growing together. Um, I so appreciate each of you and I appreciate hearing from you when you write to me and tell me stories of where you listen and how you listen and how it applies to you. It's just one of my favorite things. So thank you. Keep doing that. And if you would like to become a patron of this podcast, the information for that is on the show notes. Um, and I'm also going to put on the show notes the information for the two artists I talked about, Marcy and Melanie. So um, have a beautiful day. Keep taking care of yourselves and of each other. Thank you so much. <music>